Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being highly dysfunctional and 10 being a thriving, healthy family, where does your family rate? Okay, if you're asking me that question, of course I want to say an um, enthusiastic 10, but realistically, I think all families, um, whether we care to admit it or not, have varying degrees of dysfunction. And I know I always, my husband and I always have told our kids, I am so sorry. If you ever have to go in therapy when you're adults, we are just so sorry. So let us apologize right now. I always tell mine, I will pay for half of it. <laughs> half of your therapy, I know, I know I'm the reason. So, but I'm not going to admit my dysfunctions right now. That's that's for certain. Okay, well, before we get too far into our show, you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, Dr. Michelle Anthony is the Vice President of Learning Resources at David C. Cook and the author of Spiritual Parenting, Dreaming of More for the Next Generation, a Theology of Family Ministry, and the Big God Story. Michelle has graduate degrees in Christian education, theology, and leadership, and more than 25 years of church ministry experience as a children's and family pastor. She has written more than a dozen Christian education and family youth ministry resources, including David C. Cook's True Curriculum. And we just want to welcome Dr. Michelle to the show today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't know, Michelle, if you caught the very beginning of our show, we were just talking about how do you rate yourself in your as a, a spiritual, healthy family. And um, I guess it's kind of hard to rate if you don't even know what a spiritually healthy family looks like. So we're going to jump right in. First of all, you're in California, correct? I'm actually in Colorado. I used to live in California. We recently made a move this summer to Colorado. Oh, okay. You're in Colorado. Because I was going to say, we want to figure out what the weather's like there, but we'll go ahead and just dive right in because we know it's cold in Colorado. Um, although I'm jealous because you're probably going skiing on the three-day weekend. Oh, we would love to go up there. It's been really cold and snowy, and then the sun came out, so it's perfect conditions. <laughs> well, um, it is definitely perfect conditions here. I think you could actually lay out in the sun um, this afternoon. But yeah. we're just wondering, what does a spiritually healthy family look like? It's a great question, and I think I think so often, especially as women, um, we we start measuring ourselves and I, and I could so easily just make this very, very long exhaustive list of things that I should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And before I even got to page, you know, through page one, I would feel like a failure. 
And so I, I like to give a metaphor instead. I like to give the metaphor of envisioning that there's a director's chair. And the director's chair is obviously meant for the director. And just to sort of envision and to take assessment, who's sitting in that chair of my life, my marriage, perhaps my children's lives? Am I sitting in that chair trying to call the shots and write the scripts and figure out who comes in stage left and right? Or am I allowing God to sit in that chair and visually allowing him to be the one who's in control of all of my family relationships? And that's a great question Yeah, to find out who is sitting. And and I would like to think that I'm allowing God to sit Mm -hmm. in that director's chair and you're continuously, you know, you're praying and you're getting into God's word and you're asking for wisdom, but then you do find yourself controlling things. Um, so how do you truly, uh, give that up and say, yes, God is in the director's chair. God is directing my family. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. It's we desire it. It's one thing for us to say it. It's one thing for us to do it. And how do we practically do that is really the essence of of what I've been speaking about and learning about what God's been teaching me because it's not just a matter of waking up one day and go and going like, wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow God to direct my life. It's really, it's really a much deeper introspective conversation that we need to have with God over a period of time. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, we didn't become dysfunctional overnight. Um, mm-hmm. Some of these things were handed down to us from our family of origins or habits or bad patterns that have been going on for many, many, many years. And so to really become spiritually healthy um, takes time, just as it would to become emotionally healthy or physically healthy. It takes time with God on journey. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's such a good point because we live in such an instant gratification culture. And so we want quick fixes, quick answers. We want immediate results. And like you said, you don't, it doesn't, um, dysfunction doesn't come out of a vacuum. It's been kind of brewing and growing. And whether we want to admit it or not, it's there. And you're just talking about, you know, this director's chair. And I think it's, um, it's interesting because sometimes we forget just the, um, the ripple effects we have even on our families and how, when we do this, this might result. So let's go. We're talking about what does a spiritually healthy family look like. But in your book, you present basically six dysfunctional parenting styles. Let's go that direction and start recognizing what is dysfunctional. Because I know when you're, you're in a family unit, I know like, you know, when a family, my family of origin raising, you just think that's normal, that everybody does what you do because that's all you know. And so that's you don't true. even know what dysfunction is because it's functional to you. So let's that's go right. back and go, okay, so here, here are some signs that of dysfunction and with the, with the lens that I want to learn from this going, okay, if I have one of these signs, I, am I willing to, you know, kind of sit in the director's chair and take charge and take ownership? So why don't you kind of walk us through some of those um, six par- dysfunctional parenting styles? Yes, of course. And, and just to be clear, when I wrote this book, you know, I didn't, um, I'm not really addressing some of the dysfunctions like uh, abuse or addiction, things that are what we would consider deeply dysfunctional in our society today. Um, I really looked at six that are the more acceptable dysfunctions. In fact, these are the ones that I think they sneak up on us because 
because they're acceptable, but they're also applauded often in society today. So uh, I found myself in all of these because they're subtle and um, they're kind of normal in our world, but they're not functioning the way that God has us. So the first one is the double-minded parent. And just basically that's somebody who says, I want Jesus. I, I want God's word in our family. I want to live in relationship with him. But I also really want the world. It's attractive. I want the things and the values of the world. There's the I can't say no parents. Um, it's just that. It's a parent who just has a hard time saying no. They have a hard time placing boundaries. They don't want conflict in their home. And if you don't create a conflict, there's really, I mean, a boundary, there's really no conflict. Um, they see their children as their friends, and they want that peace and harmony. There's the driver parent who's constantly pushing and pushing and pushing their child for more, for more excellence, better grades, um, better achievements. And they really believe that the abundant life comes from achievement. There's the micromanaging parent, and this is the parent who has to control every nuance of everything. They're perfectionists, and they impose that on their children as well. Um, there's the criticizing parent. And this is the parent who they just open their mouth and something negative comes out. They don't often mean it that way, but it's just it's a constant critical environment. And uh, then there's the absentee parents. And with the diversity of families today, there's an, a plethora of reasons why a, a parent is absent. But um, they're, they're not there. They're not available. They're not present. And, and sometimes they're physically there, um, but they're emotionally absent as well. So uh, those are great identifications of some parenting styles to, to just to be aware of. Um, which one do you think is the most the most common that you see? Yeah, I found I found that you know all of these are the most common. These are the ones I kind of picked out. But you know, if I had to pick one, I think it's Christian parents. I I see it in the double minded parents a lot. I think I, I made it the first chapter because I felt like. Um, we can all find a little bit of us in that because we're sinful people who live in a sinful world, and we have to accustom ourselves to some point to live in this world, you know. We're supposed to live in this world and not be of it, but anytime you live in something, in some culture, you are you are enculturated to those norms and to those values and to those thought processes and patterns. And so I think it's very easy for us as parents and for our children to start looking more and more and more like the world, even though our heart desires to be with Jesus. And that is, that is difficult, like you said, because we don't even realize how much our culture affects our thinking because um, it, it's, it's such a gradual thing. It's everywhere. And, and it's like we, we start, you know, absorbing and adapting that and, and to our, into our families, into our own personal life. So I think a huge thing is just being aware. And how would you say, what, what is the sign? We only have like a couple minutes so we have to take a break. But before we go into the break, how would you encourage um, our listeners to even be aware that they may be that double-minded? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest way to be aware is to be in God's Word. And that's not even culturally popular either, to just take time to be in God's Word. But when we read God's Word, it's, so, it's such a contrast 
to the value system of what the world says. You know, pray for your enemies. Well, the world isn't telling us that. Or the world's telling us to take revenge. Um, to to be generous with what we have and to give it away. Well, no, the world is telling us to accumulate more. So the more that we just spend time in God's Word, I think we start seeing how totally and completely different the messaging of society is from the messages that God is, is telling us. And that's such a great point. Is It's really do It goes back to the basics of spending time in God's Word and just thinking and allowing um, those thoughts, just being aware, but in aware through the lens of what does God's Word say about this? And am I in His Word and allowing that to influence me more than I'm allowing the TV or a movie? We're going to take a quick break. And when we come, when we're back, we'll be right back with Dr. Michelle Anthony. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Spark Your Soul Radio with Ann Phyllis. Perspectives with purpose, insights with heart. The Woohoo Radio Network show for spiritual seekers and fire starters who are ready to stop feeling lost, alone, confused, or blocked and start tuning into your soul speak so you can ignite all areas of your world from your work to your relationships, lifestyle to legacy. Host Ann Phyllis is a spiritual analyst, fire starter, energy alchemist, and soul truth clairvoyant. You Using the heart and purpose-based principles of her signature Soul Sense system, and offers weekly wisdom for tuning in, letting go, unlocking, and unblocking. If you've been walking through life with excess baggage, a heavy heart, a feeling of disconnection from your inner life, consider Anne your guide to spark your soul journey and reignite your relationships, life, purpose, work, and spiritual consciousness. Every week on Spark Your Soul Radio, Anne takes you on a journey into the heart of your soul sense. There, she helps translate your energy, essence, and soul truth knowing into positive action and change. From this space of personal awakening and transformation, you're able to reignite your spirit, spark your soul, and live in alignment with your vision and values. Ready to spark your soul? Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player. Got a question for Anne? Want to be a guest on her show? Visit sparkyoursoul.me and listen to Anne every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a bug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show. 
on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, are you living in this world, but not of this world? We are listening to the advice of Dr. Michelle Anthony, uh, who has um, written the book, Becoming a Spiritually Healthy Family. We are dissecting um, some of of her significant tips. Are you the double-minded parent? Are you the I-can't-say-no parent, the driver parent, the micromanaging parent, or the criticizing parent? And I have to tell you, Michelle, as you were going through all of those, I... I was checking off every single, <laughs> every single <laughs> one of them, um, which, you know, you can justify, I, I can look at other parents and go, ah, I can't believe that they're just, you know, wanting to be their child's best friend. And then you come home and y- y- you see how you are responding to your own child and you have a hard time, you know, when they're, they're begging and pleading and coming in, manipulating, you know, five to 10 different times of, I have a 13 year old, so you can tell (laughs) how many times they, they can ask you, um, something. And even after you say no, they, they keep coming back a different direction. So, um, we were kind of talking about the double minded parent and uh, I, I loved how you even, um, you know, broke that down because I would go, no, I, I'm not a double-minded parent. I feel like my kids definitely know where my husband and I stand. And we are so, um, you know, passionate about the Lord and about raising our, our family and having God as the director. But when you broke it down and you're giving those specifics, you can see how, Verbally, you're communicating one way, but then your actions might be saying something else. So expand mm. on that a, a little bit bit more. I, I know, you know, the bottom answer is get into God's word, have, you know, have that open communication, that relationship. But um, I, I asked you a question and then I just kept talking. But I, I have to tell you, my, my brother, he does conferences um, for, for families and how we can um, make you know, put the focus back on the family. And it's interesting because he just talks about some three or four basic concepts and that's praying together, having a, um, like a faith ritual and, um, just not even if you're, if you're not able to do devotions together, just telling some stories together when you're in the car, just bringing it up, you know, just God stories and talking about the Bible with your, your children and not a, a time framed way, but just in conversation. And, um, he said recently, as he was doing this conference, he had a parent raise her hand and said, I would come across as a Jesus fanatic mm-hmm. if I did that. And so we were thinking, wow, you know, it's, it's one of those that just send your kid to church. And on Sundays we talk about God, but we don't do that through the week. So have you found that as you're doing your research and writing that, um, parents are kind of taken aback by what, what it would look like to have God as, as the director or what, what some of your input on that? Yeah. I mean, you make a really good point. I think, um, I think parents either don't know how to do it, and so they they do it in these ways that are not natural, um, unlike how your brother's doing it, but they just do these unnatural things because maybe it wasn't modeled for them or they're unsure, and so then it comes across Jesus' break, or, or we, um, our children are so enculturated, and 
the world, let's be frank, is hostile towards Christianity and Jesus, and then our kids are embarrassed. Like, are we going to do those things in front of their friends? Mm. And so then we're taking cues from them. And I think it's a, it's a difficult dance for a family to be pursuing Jesus today. And I think that's even where some of that double-mindedness comes in or some of these other dysfunctions, because we are uncomfortable. We don't know what it looks like. We're so afraid of swinging the pendulum too far and having our kids rebel or think we're freaks or doing too little. And then we see that they're not walking with Jesus or they don't have a passionate heart. And we are insecure about how to live out this Christian life in a post-Christian world. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing is like um, I have, with my husband and I, we've talked and, um, you know, my husband's a pastor. And so there's always that worry about how are my kids going to turn out as a, as a pastor's kid. And then mm-hmm. our kids are now grown with, um, you know, with their kids. And it's, it's interesting because um, there are no guarantees in parenting. And that's one of the things we realize. It's like you can do X, Y, and Z, and it doesn't equal the magic formula. Because kids still have their own free will and their own thoughts. And it, um, I mean, fortunately, our kids love the Lord and they grew up and, and have embraced it and are in ministry. But there are never any guarantees. And so with that can come some guilt and parenting. Should I have done this? Mm. Did I not do this? And I think parenting is really riddled with a lot of guilt of Boy. I didn't do or I should have done. And you know, it's like part of it, some of it you have to let go. Can you just kind of address that a little bit? Because that really does play in a lot with people and their parenting. Absolutely. And you're right. There are no guarantees. And the thing about um, following God and, and being spiritually healthy, why I chose that term as opposed to just being spiritual, you know, we have a preconceived notion of what that is, is that to be healthy, I can only just do my part. And my part is not transformation. My part is not changing a heart. My part is not to convict my children or to play the role of the Holy Spirit or to guilt them or to shame them. My part is simply to create an environment in my home where I put God on display, where I put his values on display where I'm authentic. And when I represent him well, I say, you know what, that's not even me. I can't even boast in that. that that's God. Um, and that's by his grace. And when I get it wrong, I am quick to apologize, to ask for forgiveness and to say, you know what, in that moment, I did not represent Jesus. And that's our part. That's what it means to have God in the director's chair. I'm not trying to control it so that my kids don't fail or to ensure that they succeed spiritually. Because think about it. God is the perfect parent. And his two first children, Adam and Eve, disobeyed in a perfect environment. Mm -hmm. So I always take solace in that, you know. And so it's really not, it's really not my responsibility but my responsibility is to be faithful to God and to his word and to put him on display when I get it right and when I get it wrong. You make such a great point. I, I, the concept of knowing what your role is and what your role is not. And like you said, I'm not here to transform lives and do that because that really is God's. I'm not here to play the Holy Spirit, but this is my role. And, and I think that's a great reminder to identify what is my part in this and that I would own it. And then when I don't play my part well, that I would be 
willing to apologize and go, hey, I missed the mark on that one and, mm. and take ownership. Because that's what you see so much, so much in our culture. People don't take ownership for when they miss it because they're afraid to or whatever. And it's like it's so much easier when somebody will own something because then you can move forward with solutions. And so oh, I think so as parenting, true. understanding what your role is in that is huge. Well, it's so true, and I think when we have that posture before our children, we make Christianity look more appealing. Mm -hmm. It's not appealing to be a know-it-all, do-it-all, perfect-it-all person because everybody knows that's fake, and and so our children see right through that. And then when we can live authentically and vulnerably before them, then that's attractive. And then when they say, wow, I want to be like my mom or dad, what is it that's about them that makes them this way? Well, then that's Jesus. And then pursuing Jesus isn't about getting it perfect. It's about being open and real and honest. Well, Michelle, we only have three minutes before we go into our commercial break. Since you were talking about, you know, being that that parent, I'm going to go there for a personal question. What are just a couple of tips that you can give our listeners that you have done to avoid the dysfunction in your own parenting? You know, um, I was resonating with you earlier when you said you saw yourself in all of these. And when I was writing this, I'm like, is this an autobiography or is this a help book? You know, and it's a little <laughs> both because my children are 21 and 24 now. And I, you know, you parent any amount of time and you see those. But I honestly, I think um, I tried um, as I made lots of failures. I tried to do just that. I tried to um not, I wasn't the one on display, and I think as parents, we oftentimes feel like we're the ones on display. They're watching our every move. I tried to reshift my focus. I'm not on display, and then my children are not, are not on display. They can't be on display when I'm in public or when family members come over. We, we have to take the focus off of us, and then I just try to put God on display, and if we we're both looking at my kids and me, it, it went so well. It functioned so well, even though there were mistakes, but when I tried to make them the focus or me, um, that's when we got into trouble. And that's a great point. Okay, Michelle, in just the less than two minutes we have left, how can our listeners learn more about you and, and find your book? Can you just direct them that direction? Yeah, the book, Becoming a Spiritually Healthy Family, Avoiding the Six Dysfunction Parenting Styles, Dysfunctional Parenting Styles, is, is really um, online, anywhere you would buy a book, uh, um, in your local bookstores, places like that. Um, you can also find it um, for more information at my website, which is michelleanthony.org, and, um, and or follow me on Facebook. I have a page. It's called Follow Michelle. And that sounds pretty easy. Hey, we appreciate you coming and just sharing some of these tips because I know Penny and I are walking away with just new ways to think. And so many of our listeners out there are ministry wives, are in leadership. And, and you know, and it's hard when you're leading and then you're the mom and parenting. And because those are two different roles and sometimes it's, they can cloud um, either your parenting or, or vice versa. And so these are just really great tips and understand and be aware of your parenting style and be aware of maybe when you're kind of shifting into a dysfunctional role and not having 
God and Jesus in the director's chair. So that's a great analogy. So again, thank you for joining our show and taking your time. Thank you for taking your time to even write a book and put articulate it. That's going to help so many other families and, and women as they parent and as they lead their home. So we appreciate you. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by our next guest, Brian Sands. And we're going to have a lively and interesting discussion. I think it talks about millennials and, and sex. There's that three-letter word. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is Buzz Local Radio. We had the three topics here, and we just added a fourth because we started talking about hot dogs. He's in a band. We both had guitars, so I went over to his house Christmas Day that so day. we had to start a band. And uh, I think we wrote four I or five that songs that afternoon. And Cannibalistic Fish was one of them. Cannibalistic Fish. I couldn't do the dreads. My mom would not oh, let me wear my pants backwards darn. to school either. That was wiggity, 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 wiggity. <laughs> Buzz Local Radio. Available for free download on toginet.com. That's T-O-G-I-N-E-T dot com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a bug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, joining us now is Pastor Brian Sands, a veteran of working with students for over 15 years in the public school system, church, and university worlds. He has a passion for students and helping them make wise choices with their lives. Though he has made many poor decisions over the years, the decision he got right was to commit to sexual faithfulness when he was a teenager, and he is currently writing the book, Everybody Loves Sex, So Why why Wait? Brian was ordained at the age of 21 and is passionate at helping students experience God. He lives in Orange County with his Australian wife, Kaz, and their wonderful toddler girl, Abby. So welcome, Brian. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the air. It's good to chat with you, too. Well, we are excited. We're especially excited about um, our our conversation, but I have to just dive right in and ask you the question before I, I forget. You talk about um, the decision that you you got right was to commit to sexual faithfulness, and um, I, I, I like that, how you... Um, 
put that terminology in there. It seems to be the new phrase that uh, we'll be hearing. And, and you, you don't hear the phrase sexual purity as much anymore or sexual abstinence uh, because they have more of a negative connotation in our culture. So can you explain this a bit more by using this term sexual faithfulness? Yeah, I mean, uh, when I was a teenager, I, I made my commitment to sexual abstinence. I even signed a little pledge uh, to sexual abstinence, sexual purity. And I think, you know, 15, 20 years ago, those were good terms. But over the years, those terms have, uh, uh, I guess, gathered a, a lot of baggage. And so the idea of sexual faithfulness is that, is that somebody who is choosing to be sexual faithful, they're choosing to be faithful to his or her future spouse or his or her current spouse. And um, this phrase, it doesn't really have that negative persona as sexual purity or sexual absence have. Um, and, so, and so when I talk about sexual faithfulness, it, it, I could talk to someone who's religious, and they get it, and I can even talk to someone who's not religious, and able to have a conversation with it. So in my experience, using sexual faithfulness, it has really opened up a healthy dialogue with, um, with those who are believers and, and those who aren't believers. Mm. That, that's so true. You know, you um, had a blog talking about um, how you would do this uh, workshop, or I, I don't know what you, you called it, where you would have the, the youth come in and you'd have the music playing and you would use the rose <laughs> analogy of yes. passing that rose around and everyone would, you know, tear off a, a little piece of that rose. And basically as it went around the room, you would, the, the rose would, um, be, you know, basically empty. And it's, it's interesting because just last year, uh, Lisa and I were speaking at a youth camp and someone brought that up to use that as an analogy. And then I had watched the, the video that, that Matt Chandler, and I noticed you had put that on your blog as well. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that, where you, you called your blog. I think, I believe, um, that church gets sex wrong. Um, yeah. and it kind of goes into the, the languaging of sexual faithfulness versus saying, you know, sexual purity. So tell us a little bit more about when you kind of discovered that and you were like, Ooh, I got to back up here. <laughs> yeah. So I was a youth pastor for 13 years at a large church and we did the, the traditional true love weights for most of those years. And, um, and, and through that, I learned what worked, what didn't work, and I learned what was potentially harmful. And really, not, not into the last couple of years or so, uh, did I realize how harmful some of the true love weights stuff that I did personally was harmful in terms of what it communicated, especially to the young women in the youth group. And I had no intention of ever doing that. And what, it's, what I'm reading now on a lot of blogs throughout the um, all over from all these different blogs and from different women and, and, you know, now who are my age, you know, who are, you know, early thirties, mid thirties, um, this generation X of a lot of people have been hurt by the different terminology. So I remember one time I, I was, um, uh, I did this thing with the music down and, and I had a rose and, and it was geared toward the women. And I said, you know, every time you are faithful or choose to sleep with your boy, you know, like, like you want to give this rose to, uh, to your, to your husband at the wedding altar, but yet 
you've given away everything, and so you have nothing to give to your husband. And, I, you know, looking back on that, that's horrible because what it communicates is if you have sex, you have nothing else to offer, and so you might as well just give up. And, and that's not the message of Jesus at all. And, um, and so now this, the project that I'm working on is, is, is developing more of a conversation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to making people feel guilty or bad or horrible. I want to talk about these issues and have a healthy dialogue. And that's so significant because we're so quick to give an answer or to give, you know, the solution and and tell them what the problem is and what they should do instead of allowing people to just dialogue through it and come to their conclusions and understand through the lens of grace, not through Mm -hmm. the lens of guilt, which we are, you know, historically the Christian culture is known more for their guilt giving than their grace offering. And so just changing that narrative is so important and significant. And as you're talking, what are some of the results when you start going, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to transfer it and do this. What are, how, how have you seen things change through that? Um, as I interact with people who have been hurt through that, and as I read their stories, my heart just breaks. But I'm able to dialogue with them, um, and I always admit my mistakes in the past, and 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 um, and I think that that is appreciative, and I apologize on behalf of other people who have hurt them, and sometimes that's that's helpful. But what it has done is, I think it has opened up a conversation about how and what way is the most effective to talk about this um, polarizing issue of sexuality and of sex and of waiting. And as I talk to different people who have been hurt in the past, as I start rethinking myself on how to talk about this, um, through the dialogue, it's really helped shape me and how I think about it and how I could present it. And that's really why I started the blog is I wanted to get the blog post out there. And I love it when people are um, critical. Constructive criticism is good, not just when they're, you know, haters, but when, when they bring a different side in a respectful manner that, that I never thought about. What that does, it helps shape how I could present this material um, and uh, and so the blog has really been helping me shape my thoughts as I get ready to complete this book that I'm writing. Okay, Brian, let's go ahead and talk about um, this book. First of all, I, I can definitely you have the passion because you've been working with students for so many years. But um, writing this, everybody loves sex, so why wait? Have you found that as the years you know that you're working in the youth that it's just gotten. It, it, basically there's more and more kids that aren't waiting and they're not choosing to be um, faithful sexually. And so you're, do you feel like the millennials just, it's like, why are you making such a big deal about it? Basically, do you feel like it's just getting worse and not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I don't know if it's getting worse in terms of the act. I, I, I would, would say that the mentality is probably getting worse. Um, but I think with the millennials, with the millennials, to the millennials, they, they don't take the Bible at face value anymore, and it's sad. So when the Bible communicates the wisdom of waiting for marriage, for sex, they go, oh, yeah, uh, whatever. And, and so part of the purpose of this 
book is um, to present what other worlds are communicating about waiting for marriage before sex. So what's the psychological world saying? What's the sociological world saying? What's the philosophical world saying? What's the medical world saying? And even what's the religious world communicating? And so, so what it does, I, I, as I use academic resources, a lot of peer-reviewed resources, and present the data, and, um, and then the goal of each chapter is, is to get the students online uh, to continue the dialogue online as they talk about this. Because I think millennials, more than any other generation, they want to converse about these things. They want to talk about it. They don't want someone saying, hey, this is it, you know, deal with it. And my goal is to present something where they can talk about it, present something where they could really engage in this uh, polarizing uh, discussion. Hmm. So how do you answer the question, and, and we just have a, a three minutes left before we take a commercial break, but how would you ask the question, I don't understand why you're making such a big deal about this whole sex issue. King Solomon had, you know, thousands of concubines, and he did okay. <laughs> yes, that is true. Well, I'd answer the question uh, like this. One, it would depend on if they're a college student, if what major they would be in. And, and I would say this, um, just because people did it in the Bible doesn't make it necessarily right. I think God um, necessarily, I think he allowed certain things, wasn't necessarily favorable of Solomon having all those wives and concubines, but I think he just permitted it. So the issue is, what's the best choice for us? You know, how are we making wise choices? And so for the psychological student, for example, I would talk about how powerful sex is, because sex is powerful. During sex, you have all these chemicals that are released, estrogen, norepinephrine, dopamine, and the big famous one is oxytocin. And, and I would talk to them about how powerful oxytocin is and, and that literally throughout sex, you are creating a bond with the partner. And what's fascinating about this, uh, about this chemical is that uh, the part of the brain that is releasing this is called the deep limbic system. It is, in the woman, that part of the brain is larger, so you release more of that, and that's oftentimes you see the woman more heartbroken and more devastated than the man because there's more of a bond created within the woman. So I would talk to these students and say, you know, listen, sex, you're creating a bond, and, and it's, it's so powerful, and there's something so much deeper going on than just casually having sex. And, and I would make the argument you can't really have casual sex because of this bond that's being created. That's a, that is such an interesting point because we, that, that term, casual sex, is thrown out so much. And it's so allowed. And the things that, you know, were unthinkable before, people just talking about, like, it's so common what they do on dates or when they first meet somebody. So this is such a, uh, a relevant topic. Well, we, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, Brian, let's, let's explore that a little bit more and dive into it. Because in our culture, so many things are so acceptable and, um, mm -hmm. and permissible. And it's, it's no big deal through their lens. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come right back, we'll continue our conversation with Pastor Brian Sands.
This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. If you're like me, every year you wonder how you're going to dispose of your live Christmas tree. In the desert climate around Reno, Nevada, Christmas trees that are left outside won't decompose. They will just get drier and drier, eventually becoming a serious fire hazard. Vince Thomas, the founder of Goat Grazers, a goat herding business, is now using his 40 goats to help recycle Christmas trees. Hey, I'm not kidding. We all know goats are known to eat just about anything. Thomas used dendrology, or the study of trees, to discover the trees are a natural dewormer for goats, and the pine is very high in vitamin C, so it's healthy for them as well. What's a word for the pine needles that fall off a Christmas tree? Diddle Dees. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, if you're just now joining us, you are definitely missing out. We are discussing how powerful sex is with Pastor Brian Sands. Brian speaks at universities, churches, and other settings and encourages a healthy conversation on sexual faithfulness. His blog is everyonelovessex.org, and the most popular blog post Brian has written has about 20,000 views, and it's titled Sex and Glue, the Emotional Bond of a Physical Act. And um, right there, we, we kind of left and went on to a commercial break with, uh, Brian, you were talking about the oxytocin, and, and you had me at that. I, I find that so intriguing um, that for women, that's why it might be even a little bit harder because you do have this glue and you do have this bond. And that is a great way to hit um, this conversation is to talk about what actually is going on in your brain as the command sen- center. And it's mm-hmm. all these messages and then we wonder, you know, why they're, you know, the millennials are having to go through so much counseling and there's so much trust issues when um, they're not making that connection that their body is functioning this way. Um, so I, I, I love that. Can you tell us a little bit more about some, some of the research you've done on this? That I, I love how you yeah. said there's, there's no such thing as casual sex. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's not. The more I research and and it's not like I'm just reading, you know, Christian 
books, self-help books, and say, hey, you know, here's the answer. It's it's really academic research, um, and that brought down to, to, a, to a popular level. So, so the goal is that for students could, you know, whether they're believers or not, they could go, okay, this is good research, and, and then they can make the decisions on themselves. But back to the hormones, I mean, just during sex, there are so many chemicals released. Estrogen is released. That's the chemical that gets a woman in the mood, norepinephrine. It's a chemical like adrenaline. That's what creates, you know, when, you're, when, when you see that somebody and, and your heart starts pounding, you're like, whoa, that's, that's norepinephrine working. Then you got dopamine, which is the famous pleasure chemical. And then you got oxytocin. But oxytocin is, 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 is phenomenal. And the more we learn about these, uh, about our brain chemistry, uh, the more fascinating it really is. I mean, oxytocin is released during childbirth. And the more oxytocin released, the, the smoother um, the birthing process is. And actually, oxytocin comes from a Greek word that means swift birth. And, and so oxytocin is released also during breastfeeding. And what that does is it creates a bond between the mother and a child from infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime you hug somebody, oxytocin is released. So this is like the champion of all all the hormones, and 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 during sex it is released. Obviously, like we just talked about, but there's so many chemicals going on within that, and what these chemicals are promoting is is bonding and and trust and connection, and 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 so what this millennial generation is is doing just. I mean, it's not the only generation that has done this. Gen X, baby boomers, you know, it's it's this idea of hooking up, and they think it's no big deal, and casual sex, and it's no big deal. But there's so much more going underneath the surface with the different hormones going on um, that that I think once students realize that, they go, hmm, you know, if nothing else, it gets them to think. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a question. So, Brian, you're a pastor, and you, you work with um, at Hope International University, a Christian university. And, you know, you work with, with students who are believers, and then there's, you know, students that, that aren't believers. Really, this topic is not limited to those that don't believe, you know. This, is, mm-hmm. this transcends, you know, Christians that have been raised in the church and in Christian families. They're still struggling. It's just still as prevalent. Are you... What are you seeing in the just even in the the universe Christian university environment and just with Christian students because it, it's such an issue even there as it is in any college campus? Can you kind of address, address that a little bit and what you're seeing in the conversations? Yeah, and uh, and the privilege is is I get a lot of chance to talk directly to college students because that's who I work with every single day. Um, I would love to say that, hey, we're at a Christian university, and these students are so amazing. They never have premarital sex, and they never, you know, go beyond their bounds that they should. But obviously that's not true. That would be a fantasy world. It is happening. Um, I remember talking, uh, I presented this at, um, at a leadership conference at a different university, actually, and um, and I had a student come up to me, and he I think for the first time he heard the some 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 rational thoughts about the importance of waiting mm. and he came to me and it was so sincere and he said in his college vernacular that you know you are on point and I think for the first time he heard 
something contrary that that he's been hearing his whole life that is it's no big deal everyone's doing it and i think something got to him and when i talk to college students and and i bring up these different topics and these different um points of view and what other worlds are communicating we are able to have a conversation and that's what i'm really seeing within the college community and the millennials is that you bring in some good sources especially within the college world and you're able to talk about it and you're able to discuss and converse about this uh very important issue and that's encouraging because it's it's about the conversation with these students and and i think that's what this project is is creating hmm. and that's what we're not creating those places especially in the christian community um well historically that where you can have these conversations without feeling like I'm judged or I'm going to be, walk away with guilt that this really is a safe place to have this dialogue. And, and I, I so appreciate you being willing to create those places, you know, through the blog and through your speaking and just your interaction with college students, because that's such a critical time in life to really, um, really understand the significance of that. Because we are so quick to say, wait, 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 but they're under, they don't understand, like, okay, why should I wait? Everybody right. around me, peers are telling me it's no big deal. And so we're so quick to say what to do, but not the significance of why. And you've just broken it down so so beautifully, of, you know, from the, the physical elements, what's happening in our bodies, to the emotional, to the physical, because it's all so related. So mm. we're... Where is the hope in this? Because, you know, we can look around and, and, you know, a lot of conversation, you know, among cr- Christians and, and families. And you just go, gosh, this world is falling apart. Just, you know, sex is <laughs> everywhere. Um, you know, what used to not with the unthinkable is now, you know, happening on TV on prime time that used to be, you know, R-rated in movies. And is there any hope in our culture? Is there any hope in our churches with our with our students? Is every is every kid eventually, you know, is there such a thing as is, you know, sexual faithfulness? Can you just kind of address that and give us some hope? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> the hope is this, is that the conversation is starting, and that is the first part in it. The second part is this, is that, I think the church is starting to get on board with the idea that if you've had sex, if you've done this, if you've had an abortion, whatever the case is, that that's not the end of it, you know, because we believe in a God who's bigger than all those things, a God that can restore us through that. And there's a lot of amazing churches that are um, supporting um, uh, women and men and and through these difficult times, as opposed to, oh, you've had sex, you're, you're unworthy, or how could you do that? Or churches, it's not, it's not like they're saying they're agreeing with it, but, but what I've been seeing is more and more people coming alongside them saying, hey, let me walk this journey with you. And when I look at that, I, that's the picture of Christ that, that I see in the New Testament. It, you know, Jesus and the woman in adultery in, in John chapter 8, uh, he, he didn't say, he didn't say to her, you know, you're horrible, get out of my sight. You know, he says, where are your accusers, right? Well, neither do I accuse you. You know, stop sinning and, and go on. The, the idea that, that he was willing to walk with her and show her love and show her grace, and that's what I'm starting to see um, within, within this conversation. 
Yeah. Well, you know what, Brian, I love that where it's just walking with them. And I think as parents, just for our listeners out there, you know, we just showed some research on the majority of children in America have less than 10 minutes of significant and meaningful conversation with their parents each week. And mm. we have, we want the, the church to go ahead and educate our kids, especially on this topic, but just walking with them, asking them questions, find out, you know, what sites they're getting on, what are the conversations that they're having with their friends. And um, I, I love that. We just need Absolutely. to... It, it is about grace. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Brian. Go I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just get excited about this. <laughs> so <laughs> with parents, like parents, please talk to your children. Um, just listen to them. Ask them questions. And don't... I mean, I mean, if you ask them questions, continue to develop trust with them because they have so much to share with you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and if you're interested more in this, I mean, Chap Clark has written a phenomenal book called Hurt. Um, it gives really an insight to this generation. But, but, but talk to your children and ask questions that are not judging them, but, but really get to the heart of what they're thinking and of what they deal with. And you're going to learn so much. And, and it's okay to listen to their music every now and again and, you know, and, and be interested in things that they're interested in, even though you might think it's the craziest thing in the world. But do mm-hmm. that, and you're going to start seeing that your teenager is opening up to you in a way that you never thought before. Mm. Such a great point, because it really is being a student of your child and getting into their world and not separating, but under, trying to understand and bridge that understanding where you're like, okay, I'm in this with you. I like how you said that. You just come along the journey with you. And I think yeah. our children need to know that we are with them in the journey. We're not there just telling them what to do and pointing a finger, but gosh, we are in this with you to help you figure this out. And together, we're going to figure this out too, because it's way different even uh, you know, my my kids are in their um, late twenties. It's way different today than even when they were teenagers ten years yeah. ago. It's different yep. dialogues, different scenarios, and it's quickly changing. And as parents, we need to really engage and and stay relevant and what's going on around us, and not be afraid of it. I think so Amen. many parents are so afraid to have that conversation, um, either afraid to of what they're going to learn or afraid how they're going to respond to what they hear and. It's yeah. okay. Just get in the game. So we only have 45 seconds. Brian, thank you so much for joining our conversation and just being so real with, and, and your blog. And we just encourage, we'll have information on our site at Girlfriended of how to even contact you and follow your blog. And thank you for entering the danger zone of this, of this topic <laughs> and this conversation and, and challenging us um, just in the Christian community and as parents to really engage and to be there. So thank you again, Brian Sands. And we're going we're gonna to say goodbye to and hopefully you'll enter those dialogues and those conversations and you'll just come along um, the, the millennials and the generation and realize we're all in this together. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.